Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by HBO's Barry. Lights, camera, assassin from executive producers Bill Hader and Silicon Valley's Alec Berg. The new HBO comedy Barry centers on a depressed hitman who discovers a new passion for acting while on a job in Los Angeles. Hader stars as Barry as he struggles to balance the responsibilities of the life he has with the pursuit of his dreams, hilariously misfiring along the way. The series also stars Henry Winkler, Stephen Root, and Sarah Goldberg. New episodes of Barry premiere on Sundays on HBO at 10.30 p.m. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more. For $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game or sporting event, all you have to do is use promo code WATCH. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, how's that Kanye stock doing? It's Andy Greenwald! Do you think he listened to our podcast last week and was like, <laughs> I want to test the limits of his love? It's, it's, I, I feel like I set up my my yeah. issues pretty well. I mean, you, you were the one who was just like, I don't care what he says as long as he makes a dope beat. <laughs> like, he, he, here's how I truly feel today. Yeah. It's, I'm, it's a little, I'm a little troubled. Okay. Look, I, I just, on a, on a profound level. Uh-huh. Kanye West yes. could be blogging positively about Westworld from atop a Confederate monument. <laughs> and if he makes a Nas record and does all the beats for it, okay. 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 We're going to hold I you mean, to that. Okay. I mean, my voice is getting really high, but okay. <laughs> Andy, today is Monday. We're going to be talking about the season premiere of season two of Westworld. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would just like to say that yeah. there's a lot of ringer content about Westworld right Great. now. Great. There is a podcast hosted by David Shoemaker called Westworld The Recapables, Mm -hmm. which you can subscribe to. It's on its own feed, separate from our other Recapables podcasts. That way you won't get your billions. Can't get your billions and your your... Atlanta mixed up with Mm -hmm. your Westworld. So Shoemaker, me, and Danny Heifetz did the first one. Shoemaker will be hosting that one going forward. I think Danny's going to be like popping up to do the theories on that one. But there will be a variety of guests on that. Allison Herman wrote a great piece recapping the first episode. So if you want to read about where we're at with this show. Uh, Andy and I will talk about that. Also, uh, on this episode, we had the pleasure Mm. of being joined by Henry Winkler and Bill Hader, uh, just absolute dynamite menches, Mm -hmm. and they are obviously the stars of Barry. Barry probably had its best episode last night, so uh, we'll be talking to them about episodes, specifically episodes four and five, which Andy and I both felt were the strongest of the season and, and were just phenomenal pieces and we of strongly television. recommend you catch up on the show, not only to listen to our interview, but because the show really has hit its stride. Yeah. On Thursday, Andy and I will be talking about the season premiere of Handmaid's Tale, mm-hmm. season two. So that's coming back on Wednesday night. Wednesday so we'll talk night. a little bit about that. And we also will have an interview with the Scottish band Churches. Yeah. Old friends of the pod. Old friends. The theme music authors of the Andy Greenwald show. Was it the Andy Greenwald Show or the Andy Greenwald Podcast? Your inability to remember this is so savage. <laughs> it's so just low-key savage. You're like, that little podcast I you do. I never had a Chris Ryan show. I guess a lot of shows are the Chris All Ryan show. All the shows show. on the Ringer Podcast <laughs> Network are, in a way, the Chris Ryan show. I got to get a Chris Ryan show going. I, what more... What? part of your brain could you slice thin like the garlic in Goodfellas <laughs> to preserve for your show? Maybe I'll do a podcast about Goodfellas, there but it it's just the Chris Ryan show. Um, so that's Thursday. We have a new book for Book Club. We uh-huh. did The Last Good Kiss with Elwood Reed. Fantastic guest. Such a pleasure to talk to him. Shout about out to Elwood. James Shout out Rumley. to uh, um, Elwood. Big fan of our Thomas English, English Muffins ad reads. Who isn't? 
Who isn't a fan of Thomas's English muffins? Uh, Thomas's. I'm not trying to go pay for play here, but my cupboard is empty. We're just saying show us the muffs. <laughs> Our love is genuine. But we're um, feeling a little muff poor right now. The new book for Book Club is Every Man a Menace, written by Patrick Hoffman. It is a recent novel. Mm-hmm. 2016, I think it is. And um, it is, I think... One of the best crime books I've read in the last 10 years. And I haven't read this yet. It I'm excited. You brought this to, really, the, to the group. Really, really, really mind-blowing. In a way that I don't mean, to, it's not mind-blowing in the like Kanye West watches YouTube once mind-blowing way. It, <laughs> it's mind-blowing in the union of this sort of hard-boiled to the point where it's like Dennis Johnson or, or Raymond Carver, mm-hmm. like spare style with a vision of the global drug trade that I don't think I've ever seen in a novel before. Um, Can't and it's wait. basically about a series of characters in and around San Francisco and Thailand mm-hmm. and Miami. Some of my favorite vacation spots. And the global ecstasy trade. Something I'm passionate about. Yes. So passionate. Every Man a Menace by Patrick Hoffman. We'll probably get to that at some point. May, mid-May? Late, late May, late May, late, late-ish May. Kick off summer. You let me know what your schedule's like. I mean, you've read it, so S- you send me send me an invite. This is incredible. The, the power oh, that you I are flexing. It. We, you have definitely done that. Before. I know, but now suddenly the tables are turned. <laughs> yeah, all the other books <laughs> I've like, read, I'm like, can we do it next week? <laughs> yeah, you're just like secret. Every man of menace, July Fourth. Sorry, time. you're busy recording the nine part Chris Ryan podcast. It's like <laughs> S Town, but just about garlic. Let's talk about Westworld. I'm, I'm stalling. Um, why don't you go first? No, no. Why? No, 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 no. Why not? I've got a couple Candace Owens vids to get through. Um, so I'm just going to fire those up while you... <laughs> why don't you say your piece here? Westworld's not about characters. <laughs> okay. Westworld is, as Allison very eloquently put it in her piece, mm-hmm. uh, Westworld is a choose-your-own-adventure story. Uh-huh. And Westworld is best appreciated when you are not watching it in the way that you would watch Killing Eve or that you would watch The Night Of or that you would watch um, Handmaid's Tale. You mean with your brain and pleasure receptors turned on? So you're going to let me talk or are you just going to keep kind of like... Zach, edit that out. (laughs) You're going to keep hedging on this. Sorry, Candace is just really making a strong point Um, here about globalism. So I think that there are a couple of things that you could be... Let's say if you were even if you are count yourself as a fan of the show, you could be like, oh, you know, sixty nine minute runtime, first time out. Do we really need some of the the elongated monologues that were essentially restating past purposes, past past character intent? But for me, the thing that is sort of freed up my enjoyment of this show is the very pure parceling out of of where it's going and the narrative trajectory of the show. I don't really get caught up anymore on whether or not like Dolores is Wyatt or Dolores is some avenging angel uh, or what this sort of, where she's going with this. I think that it's basically a puzzle. And I, you know, we've lamented the puzzleful, puzzleification of television a couple of times on this show over the last couple of years. But for some reason, because I don't feel like the puzzle in this show is taking away from larger story that I would a, a larger story or a, a sort of personal connection that I have to any of these characters. I actually enjoy it just the same way I enjoyed doing a crossword puzzle from time to time. So you know, I shared a lot of my thoughts about what I thought was going on this season. I think that stuff about it being you know now that we kind of are pretty sure that it is set somewhere off of China, um, that 
you know, there are multiple parks that the Dallas Corporation is mining its guests' personal information for some use, which is obviously a pretty prescient mm. uh, storyline. I'm I'm compelled by it. You know, I I think that it has. It's a little. It's it's a baggy show, and I you know I, I accept that. And I was good. I was kind of interested in talking about this because I can't tell. When we spoke a few weeks ago about Avengers, we were talking about whether or not this is compulsion. Uh, we're com- we feel compelled to talk about this because it's of compulsory its coverage. Yeah, it's compulsory coverage. Um, I am interested in the setting, and I am interested in enough things about this show that I do not feel like it's compulsory. But I I see the floor to you. I, I want to be uh, measured, and I want to be respectful of those who enjoy the show it's week one mm-hmm. um there are nine more episodes i believe this season mm-hmm. um i have to say that something about westworld turns me into joe pesci in my cousin Vinny. i thought you were gonna say goodfellas and i was like that's my podcast uh, that's on your podcast <laughs> uh people say positive things about the show and I say you were serious about that what's a positive thing it? people say about the show you just said some positive things about the yeah. show people people honestly genuinely seem interested in what's going to happen next or right. who these where we're going or what any of it means yeah um I find that totally baffling I I you know I, I think the show is completely inert as an entertainment and I, my three notes before I'm off the project Aside completely. From completely inert as an entertainment, yeah. Well, no, I wanted to be more specific. I'm seriously here. Like, <laughs> no, I, I'm, I don't, I'm, I don't I'm, think it's productive for me to... Uh, this is... They're making the show they want to make. Yeah, I, and, I, I want to be clear about something. Yeah. This isn't like I'm taking up an opposite position from you. No, you're finding pleasure in yes. things. We're both observing the same objective truths about the yes, show. Yes, but I, I, I'm not trying to, like, fetishize you not liking this show. Like, if you don't, like, I think that you not liking it, while there might be, like, uh, diminishing returns on stating the same thing over and over again, Yes, I do think he, that your criticisms are compelling. Here are my three notes from, from last night. Um, number one, ask yourself, should my show be... 75 minutes. Catherine Van Arendonk has a really, is, is a piece about this on Vulture today. Yes, about, about um, episodic manspreading, <laughs> which I completely agree with. Should your show be 75 minutes? And then ask yourself, are five of those minutes Ed Harris grimacing and tending to arm wounds? Uh, you don't need those minutes. This was absurd, um, absurd excess. This did not need to be this long. It felt extremely long. There, there were. It was just incredibly. I mean, you said baggy. It was just outrageously indulgent for something that I yet to believe. I've yet to see evidence that it deserves that kind of indulgence. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly when so many of the scenes are just repetitive of last year. There's this sort of circular um, philosophizing that really don't add up to much, um, other than Dolores saying that now she's going to be the star of her own narrative loop. Which we got that right, pretty clear. Um, Two, I, again, I get that this is essentially a show about the biggest possible ideas, or it wants to be about the biggest possible ideas. It's about moving um, chess pieces or puzzle pieces, depending on the analogy you want to use. This is never going to be a show that's about uh, quips or humor or anything like that. But I was gobsmacked at some of the dialogue within this, that our guy, your man, Lee Sizemore, who is the writer, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, a writer 
his observation uh, of the circumstance that he finds himself in, surrounded by dead bodies and living buffalo, is that it's like the inmates are running the asylum. That guy is off the project. You know what I mean? Like, you need to do better than that, writer. <laughs> Wouldn't that explain why he's working for a theme park? You know, that's a great counter. And I'm not going to I'm not gonna push back on that. Maybe you're revealing something there. But there's also a line about how looking for this will be like looking for a needle in a haystack. He like, says that or No, someone else, else says that later. Right. Well, he wrote their dialogue, so it kind of stands just, it stands to reason why. It's, I can't. See, that's the thing about the show. There's an answer for everything. Yeah. I don't know if it's a satisfying one. The third point I wanted to make was... I think the logline, or at least um, an easier way to understand potentially or to have a conversation about what Westworld is for a non-genre fan, mm -hmm. you could, if you squinted, um, try to make an argument that this is a show about human nature or about the nature of life. Are these robots alive? What makes them alive? I mean, that the broadest possible strokes. And again, even before you saw the first season, you could try to express that that, that might be what they would be attempting to do. And this episode, more than anything else, made it clear to me that the show is fanatically, fetishistically not interested in life. It's obsessed with death. It was so wildly and needlessly violent with people just being shot in the head, robot and human alike, mm -hmm. endlessly, relentlessly to the point of just a, a beyond a numbing sensation. And I get for narrative purposes, we need people to move forward and not all be shaking like, um, like Bernard when he's lacking that, that milk of magnesia he needs to inject in his brainstem. But... Like Charlotte Hale, for example, Tessa Thompson's character, she's pretty Miss Cool Girl about the fact that there is a mass slaughter happening in front of them, you know, and all the red shirts, except in this case, they're black tuxedos getting yeah. gunned down. Yeah, yeah. Everybody seems pretty mellow with this because this is a world I guess they're used to where people dying constantly in violent, horrific ways in front of them. Or Lee Sizemore waking up and being relatively okay with the fact that most of the people he worked with are slaughtered. There's a, there's a desensitizing to this that I just find really bizarre. Um, so can I throw one, and, one idea out there? Well, my last that? note on it is, sure. remember also that this is a show in which half of the cast, maybe that's conservative, three quarters of the cast, can be resurrected at any time with no cost. Um, so the lingering image of, oh, James Marsden wound up drowned. Why should I care about that? Other than the fact that it's given us an answer, and now it's going to slowly, slowly reveal the question. I, I am just gobsmacked, again, that this, this idea that a bunch of robots are dead in an ocean and Bernard did it, I'd, I'd expl maybe explain to me why that's interesting. Okay, so I won't pretend like this is true, but I'm going to throw it out at you. <laughs> that's the best kind uh, of argument. Possibly one of the reasons why people have the attitudes towards mass slaughter that they mm -hmm. do on the show is that we don't know where this show is taking place or when this show is taking okay. place in the context of what could be happening outside of the world of this park that may have desensitized people to that level of violence. Okay. Or what may have happened with the sort of AI revolution that led to this park being something that could function mm -hmm. that people have these attitudes towards... Towards robots. Yeah, I mean, like, Blade Runner is entirely based on this idea that a, a robot race was created as slave labor to, to colonize, out, yeah. like, outlying planets. Um, so there's that. And I think that that is part of what kind of interests me about this show is this idea that the story is in the clay and that each episode is just sort of slowly peeling away the clay. Now, I, you may not like the story and you may hate the clay, mm -hmm. but it is kind of fascinating to watch them piece this together and also be 
curious about whether or not they actually know what's in there in the first place or whether they're kind of making it up as they go along. Because obviously, this was a show that had a troubled first season or pre-production period of mm -hmm. delays, expensive, it was very expensive. Then it became something of a sensation. Now it is more or less poised to be the flagship HBO show for the next three years after in the wake of Game of Thrones. Um, so they obviously have a lot riding on this. And I think it's entirely possible that in two or three seasons, you could have a di completely different cast of Westworld. Yeah. But still be exploring the, what's going on inside of the world of this show. So there's there's all that for the mass slaughter stuff. The writing is the writing. I can't really explain that off. I think it's, I, I don't think it's good writing. I wish that they it, it's technical. did more things like what they have obviously responded to with the Maeve character, which is that like, let Tandy Newton cook. Yeah, I like that. And they don't do that for, like Jeffrey Wright, is one of the best working actors. And Agreed. he's kind of stuck having robot PTSD <laughs> and following Tessa Thompson around. Now, I thought that they obviously gave Tessa Thompson a higher usage rate. That was good. Um, I think that there are some interesting things in this show. But I think ultimately what you have to do is like rejigger your expectations for what television is supposed to do. And that may not yeah. be what you want from television. I would also say that one of my main critiques about it is that there is not enough, like when you watch 24, 24 had pretty bad dialogue, but then like he would like electrocute a dude with a lamp and you'd be like, damn. Yeah, I want to be clear. And that would be enough. There would be an action sequence. There would be yeah. some sort of tension. There is actually like the, all of the tension of Westworld all of the dramatic tension is in how they parcel out morsels of narrative. Fine, and I I, I hear that, and I, I in terms of the writing, I want to be I want to be clear about this because this is something I'm learning as well in my own journey to to, to television writing. Journey into uh, night. Um, there it is. It's all there. Um, not all writing needs to be show offy or clever mm -hmm. or self referential. Some it's not that's not the purpose of some writing, especially narrative writing or writing for the screen. There is writing, or, or in the world, you know, there's the writing, you could write a short story and you can write a legal document or you can write instruction manual for something and they each have different purposes. I think that the type of writing that is necessary for a show like Westworld that juggles multiple timelines and multiple um, storylines needs to be clean and get you get you there. And that has its own, um, that has its own talent. Mm -hmm. It requires its own talent. So I don't mean to be dismissive of that. I, what I really am saying is that I wish it had the other in order to make it feel more alive. Now... Uh, what I would say is you're right. I think that everyone's mileage of television may vary, what you're looking for, how you enjoy it, um, and in the mood you're in when you sit down to watch it. But what I would ask people uh, who enjoy the show is think about, let's take three storylines from Westworld. Okay. And I want to ask why, why an audience member should be invested in them outside of we don't know the answer. So let's do it with and, this and, one. But let's it, do it with this, so, with this episode. So here are the three that I wanted to, yeah. to, to bring up. One, the three three major storylines are um, Maeve being uh, reunited with her daughter. Yes. Dolores becoming the star of her own show or whatever, whatever or becoming who she's going to become. And uh, Ed Harris solving some maze or solving the game. Getting out of or, the game. Or whatever yeah. the, whatever the, the, the current is the, yeah. mission is. For me... There is not a single emotional thread to any of those that interests me. Separate and apart from, I wonder what will happen, how she will get her daughter back. I wonder when Dolores will become what she will become. I wonder what it even means for Ed Harris to get where he's going. But doesn't that sort of speak to the how those those are all very basic 
fundamental Western quests. Yes. I want it, to be reunited with my family. I need to get out of hell. It, you know, yes, I need to borrowed become tropes. the person I want to become. And so let's add— But doesn't it kind of speak to the— those are just constructs anyway then? Yes, and if you don't fill in detail, then we're just looking at an empty shell. We're just looking at right. that 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 blank robot walking around menacing um, Jeffrey Wright. Uh, you could say the that same dope, thing. Though. I mean, that's that's the other thing that comes down <laughs> to the quest world: was it dope or not? And and I mean, if, let's look at Lost. The question was: Will they get off this island? Mm-hmm. The reason Lost was good was because we cared about the people on the island, how they interacted with each other, and the journeys that they took emotionally as well as physically to get off the island. That's how it works, yeah. you know. When we when we, we were talking, we talk about crime novels and book club. Yeah, I mean, there's always a missing girl, or there's a dead girl, or there's someone whose identity. There's there, there's the sure. six, there's six the props. Yeah, right. Um, it's how you fill in that bucket. And again, it's very possible that if we were to sit down with Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy, which I very much doubt they would do, um, is they might say, "Well, we're playing with the idea of the bucket. It's sure. not about what's in it." Sure. And again, intellectually. Okay, interest fine. You can make a compelling point for that, but to, but I, I don't think it's pleasurable to sit through seventy five minutes of consider the bucket. Is this really a bucket at all? Okay, so this actually ties in pretty well with Barry mm-hmm. because what Barry does so well, we could leave Westworld where we live. What I'm blown away by by Barry is how it takes something that is in the elevator pitch. You're like feel like people have tried to make Hitman interesting for yeah. a long time. What's going to be different about this one? And they check every box. When when you, you everything you want from a show, whether it's humor, whether it's like actual human moments, whether it's a detailed world where it feels very lived in and that the writers know what they are talking about when they're writing either whether it's the world of struggling actors in the valley mm-hmm. or uh Hitmen for hire who have connections to the Chechen mafia and everything else, and the Bolivian drug cartels. It's it's like so fully realized that in 22 minutes or 25 minutes or whatever, Barry can have a more developed world Mm -hmm. than Westworld. Uh, Now I, I don't think that they necessarily are obviously trying to do anything close to the same things, but we just got out of the last episode last night's episode of Barry which I thought was probably the best one, precisely because you just never know where this show is really going anymore. You know, and it feels like it can be a kind of canned comedy at some points, but mm-hmm. then it feels like it can be a truly thrilling uh, noir show, you know? And, and mm-hmm. Hiro Murai did an incredible job directing last night's episode. Hater talked a lot about that with us. Um, what did you think of last night's episode, and how do you want to set up for? for- well, I think, and I, and, I, and I expressed some of this to to Bill and Henry when we spoke to them as well. One of the interesting things about television is the show teaching you how to watch it while it's figuring out yeah, how to tell, absolutely. figuring out what it is. And the first two weeks of Barry, you know, I found the first three weeks even, I found the show finding its footing. Um, I really liked the pilot. I liked the second episode less. I was a little bit more in the third. And then in the fourth and fifth episode, it, it clicked. And it felt like it clicked into, behind the camera as well. They seemed to get their tone better and understand what the show is. Um, so for me, the last two weeks were the ones where everything felt um, character-based and not um, premise-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the mixture of comedy and pathos felt more true. Uh, it probably 
make it, that probably has a lot to do with the fact that Sarah Goldberg's character began to emerge as more of a steadying force on the show and her emotional experience, which is not mocked or commented on. You know, she's she's her, the scene with her and the agent. I think in the previous week's episode is devastating and devastating in a way that doesn't call attention to itself, but it colors everything that is that comes afterwards. And if you want to talk about consequences on shows, it changes the way her character behaves. Yes. So like it, each each moment for these people actually goes towards the next moment. It's not just, oh, this happened in a vacuum because it, we thought it was a good bit. It's cumulative yeah. in a way that's really rewarding. Yeah. And and I was really dazzled, as you were, by the way, last night's episode juggled things so expertly that it could have an outrageous um, and an outrageously banal um, drug st- stash house raid yeah. that was as gripping as other entertainments we enjoy that have drug stash house raids, sure. but was true to the character's experience in it and the world of the show Barry and also still weirdly funny and then devastating in a way and it made you tense in a way the comedy made me tense in the previous weeks. Um, I, th- I thought it was great. I'm, I'm on board on the show and it was so terrific to have these two guys in here. It was not a... Uh, rowdy conversation. Yeah. It was very thoughtful in a fun way. We should let people know that um, at the very beginning, we had to, we had to run it back and, and start over again. And uh, Henry, Henry Winkler, who is just a lovely human being, was upset, not because he was interrupted in mid-thought, but because he realized he had neglected to say thank you when I had said <laughs> welcome. So he does not make that mistake twice. Yes. Um, and it was just a, yeah, it was just a pleasure to talk to these guys and have a substantive conversation about what they are trying to do and with the show and what I think they are succeeding to do. Yeah, we are going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and then we'll be back with our interview with Bill Hader and Henry Winkler from Barry. Uh, thanks for listening. With the Google Assistant, you can complete over a million actions on your phone, in your car, and around the house. One of my favorite is to play podcasts when I'm in the car and can't be messing around my phone. I just say, hey, Google. Play the latest Binge Mode podcast. Download the Google Assistant today. Andy. Hey, man. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Thomas's English Muffins! Let's go! Are you looking for a breakfast that's worth skipping the snooze button for, bro? Are you even really looking? Thomas's is the only breakfast brand that delivers a -a one-of-a-kind eating experience with its original nooks and crannies! There's nothing quite like that nooks and crannies texture. Perfectly toasted to give you irresistibly crispy edges with soft, warm centers. Take it from a true fan, and let me tell you something. I am a true fan. Yeah, there's no mistaking it. I have, I have, I got nooks and crannies Mm -hmm. tattooed onto my neck. (laughs) (laughs) The secret to revealing that perfect nooks and crannies goodness every time is to gently pull your Thomas's English muffin halves apart. Are you listening to me? No, are you listening? Yeah, don't be a joker. Don't use a utensil. You can use a fork to split them. I will allow that. My bad. But if you use a knife, you're never allowed to listen to this podcast again. Fair. Next, lightly toast each half and then top them right away, instantaneously. Don't wait. The house is on fire, I don't care. Put the butter on the muffin. Watch how the butter melts, probably because your house is on fire, and it pulls inside all those amazing little nooks and cranny spaces. It is a delicious burst of flavor in every warm, toasty, buttery bite. Do you have any notes you'd like to pass along here? Frankly, I cannot match your intensity vocally, but I want people to listen to me. But you're literally crying right now. I want people to understand when I say this. 
Once you've put butter on a Thomas's English muffin. Yes. Once you've extinguished the house fire that is ravaging your life and yes. potentially endangering your neighbors, you could graduate. You can. You no, could. You could know inner peace. No. You could put peanut butter on an English muffin. You could. You could mix it up. But I don't want to exclude anyone who's allergic to peanut butter. You could put sun butter. There you go. You could put other kinds of butter and blow your mind and have an even better breakfast experience. If you haven't had them already, you have to toast and put whatever kind of butter you got on some Thomas's Nooks and Crannies English muffins. They're truly like no other. Muff life. Chris and I are so thrilled now to be joined on the show Thank you. By, <laughs> by our guests, the co-stars of HBO's Barry, just renewed for a second season, Bill Hader and Henry Winkler. Hi. So Hi. gracious Hi. <laughs> to both of you. Uh, we have a lot of questions to ask you prepared. We have some, some banter, but we also, um, well, I actually just wanted to comment on what happened when we were walking in here, which is I found you guys in the parking lot, right. waiting very patiently. Mm-hmm. And um, as we were walking, I was speaking to Bill and just someone that none of us knew approached you, Henry, and shook your hand and said, I love the show. And I think the most important follow-up was from Bill, which was, which show? <laughs> <laughs> it is true. We have, um, uh, uh, between us, a, a tremendous biography. Yes. Yeah. So do you, I imagine that happens a lot. It does. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on the age. Right. There are people who say, hello, I loved Happy Days. Right. Scream. Waterboy, uh, Arrested Development, uh, Parks and Rec. Mm -hmm. And now, no matter where I go and so many different ages, um, people are talking to me about Barry. Can you spot a Barry fan coming? No. No. (laughs) No, they don't know. uh, You can spot a a Happy Days fan. Yeah. You can spot, uh, except when they're very young and they have watched with their grandmother and their mother. Right. When they sure. Were younger. Well, because that's the thing. For I don't think I think the show was ending its run when I came into the world, right. but it was on every day after when school. Were you born? A seventy-seven. Yeah. So, so toward the end of the run. Yeah. But coming home from school in uh, elementary school and middle school, I, I bet Bill, you had a similar experience. Yeah. That show was on every day and yeah, was just was as much a part that of our as television. Else's. Yeah. That's what I thought television was. Was Henry? Like my first image that I remember on a television set was Henry. Is that, does that explain the founding of Barry? Where they said, <laughs> yeah, HBO yeah, said, yeah. do you want to make a TV show? And he said, well, get me television. Yeah, I need yeah, television. I need television. I need television on the yeah. thing. It's like, I need either Big Bird or Henry. <laughs> <laughs> I met Elmo. So I Big Bird met, was in uh, second position. I met the guy who did Elmo, you know. Well, uh, the, uh, the guy that got in trouble? The disgraced yeah, guy? But you, know, but you know what? I am so sorry. I don't find him. I, he was just like a genius. Yeah. 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 Listen, yeah. Do you know? I saw that documentary about yeah, I was reading uh, some interviews you you did, Henry, about about the show, and one of the things I love about about which show about Barry. See, oh. There we are again. <laughs> uh, and one of the things I love about the show is that you know superficially it's about this, these worlds, these acting worlds, and this hitman world. But there's a lot of very relatable stuff in all the writing and in all the uh, all the storylines. Right. And one you, of the, you just hit. I I don't mean to interrupt you. You just hit something that's really important because if it's not on the page, it's not on the stage. Yeah, and. We have the, the the ensemble has the good fortune of having Bill Hader and Alec Berg in the same room at the same time. And that is no joke. That's not hyperbole because all you have to do is watch the show and you see I'm right. Yeah. The writing is precise and extraordinary. And I'm very proud to say I make Bill Hader crazy. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, you, very sweet, uh, Henry. And and would you like to follow up on that, Bill? <laughs> what? How crazy he makes you? No, he doesn't make me crazy. Yes, how do I make you crazy? I'll tell you how. How do this I? This is me? what he says to me every day. Could could you just do it once the way it's written? <laughs> oh, that's true. Okay, so that I could hear what. Yeah, no, that's true. But I, you know what? As an actor too, I'm the same way. Where you go, I want to make it my own, but it has I like a rhythm. To. But it has a rhythm to it that you're like, oh no, it's good. But I, you know, I think that uh, you know, I, uh, it, you don't make me crazy. That's Other okay. people on this show make me crazy. Let's name names. Oh, yes. let's, I'm naming names. No, 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 no one makes. But That's no, Henry, it's very fun because I'll be doing a scene with him, and you're kind of um, like the soup scene in, in uh, ep episode three, where we just get into a rhythm and it's just effortless, and that's. That's a hard thing to come by, and that's when you have that with someone. You just yes, you, fe you, you feel it. You don't. Yeah, and it was like, oh gosh, we got this great so rhythm. A lot of the scene was written, and then we made up stuff. Yeah, you know? I, I remember when um, I interrupted you. No, no. I mean, I actually wanted to ask you something based on what you said. I, I I remember reading some interviews with Seth Rogen when Preacher came out, mm -hmm. and he talked about that same idea where he was almost now that he had done something that was a little bit more dramatic. He said he could like almost not even imagine going back to a fully improvised yeah. style because he's just like these guys are like you know the dramatic actors are like okay what what am I supposed to say right and I'll yeah. say what you're writing for me and I'll do all the parts and he's like going back to going back to fully imp improv would be impossible. Yeah, well, it's different. Uh, I actually kind of felt that after because on Saturday Night Live we couldn't really improvise too much and um, when we did the the show of Fred documentary now um, mm -hmm. that show. None of that's improvised. I mean, that's all written, you know? And I think we kind of, you know, it's just, it's hard to land a thing when you got 30 minutes and you want to tell a complete story yeah. or whatever. Um, you know, if you have two plus hours or whatever to make a, you know, a movie, you can improvise a lot, you know? Um, and kind of cobble it into a thing that like makes sense and feels loose and fun and stuff. But most of those movies are improv movies. Even the Cassavetti stuff, they're long, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we have 30 minutes. So, and we want to tell comp like a complex story that has a lot of twists and turns in it. So it's hard to find, it's like little moments, you know, um, can be improvised, but for the most part, but that puts a lot of pressure on us as writers. Yeah. It's like, you got to hand them something that's worth, because that's, I don't know if you could, Henry, if you could test this, when the writing's not good and they're saying- You mean they're, on, on another on, show? On another show yeah. when you go, <laughs> or, or, or a movie or whatever, and the writing's oh, not good and they act like it's, you know, uh, Shakespeare. Gosh, yeah. word. But it, it, just for the actor, then you, when it, the writing is not good, you, your job then is to find the life in it. Yeah. When you've got, on the other hand, when you've got, uh, and I, I've said this before, when I read the, the pilot of Barry, it was like reading cashmere <laughs> as opposed to a cotton blend. <laughs> right. That's wonderful. <laughs> when, you, when you read something like that, it washes over you. And uh, you then can make it come alive. The other stuff, it literally, you've got to take nails and your hammer yeah. and a saw and cobble it, uh, to steal your word. Yeah, you do, it yeah. Together. 
I, I think uh, even aside from the performances, you touched on it, Bill, there, there is a large degree of, of difficulty, I think, in the show. There's a lot of complexity, obviously, in the emotional range of the stories you want to tell, but also just in the tone of the show. And I have to say, th this interview is going to air on Monday after the fifth episode has aired, yeah. so we can talk mm -hmm. about it through that episode. Sure. It's the last two weeks that it's really all come together for me in the way that TV does when I, you understand the ride you're on a little bit better. Mm -hmm. What you guys were going for in the beginning is audacious in terms of the comedy being over here. I say good word. The violence over here mm -hmm. and dealing with people who exist in a world where both are possible yeah. at, at almost any moment. And um, then they crisscross. Exactly. I don't know it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, holy moly. And, and there are moments when I'm cringing at the comedy in episode two and then in episode five, I am unable to watch the screen when uh, Barry's considering whether to off his right. incredibly, um, as we mentioned before, just beautifully marvelous yeah. sculpted uh, but, Dale. Yeah, he's a great actor. But it, but anyway, the, the question in this was, um, I was speaking to the viewer's experience finding my way in the show and finding comfort in it. What was that like on your end? When did you feel in the writing of the scripts or in the cohesion of the production that you, you found the sweet spot between these extremes? I don't know. I mean... I don't know. It's funny. It's like you just kind of tell the, uh, you know, it, we would just tell the story in the way that made sense to us emotionally, you know, and it was, you know, you just go, well, the guy doesn't want to be um, in this violent world anymore, so we should probably make the violence very real uh, and and play it for what it is, which is brutal and fast. And, and I never like uh, stuff where, um, I never like stuff where the, you know, the guy's, it, it's kind of, funny, mm -hmm. you know, sure. and as I get older, you know, taking violence in a way that's uh, glib in any way. I mean, there, there's a, there's a very easy, and, and that also is a testament to HBO. There's a big, you know, w there's, there's a lot of notes that we could have gotten of like, Hey, this guy you strangle in the backyard in episode three, can we, can he like take some of the kid toys back there and strangle him? You know, just something funny or do like <laughs> a little, you know, um, uh, weekend at Bernie's type of deal or, or whatever. Let's take the kid toys out altogether. And yeah. And like have a you know, bad guy a and bad drugs guy. Yeah. and everything. And we were very conscious of like, no, there needs to be kid toys. There's a, there's a guy without, there's a little kid without a father anymore. And that, that was the idea behind that. And, but, um, but to your question, I don't know. It was just playing the emotion real. And then you, we never fully knew, but we just kind of committed to it. And then you watched it. When we saw it cut together, mm -hmm. I, I just remember watching that scene in episode five, that whole stash house sequence cut together and going like, well, I like it. Uh, you know, I don't know what everybody else is going to think, but that's my kind of thing, you know, mm -hmm. where you, you treat it real, you know. You know, that is also a very important point to make. When you make uh, an entertainment, you make what you know you like mm -hmm. because if it if it appeals to your center it will appeal to somebody else because we're all the same if you try to make something that you think other people will like you're dead in the water mm -hmm. actors often talk about the best feeling they can have is when they are working with somebody who knows exactly what they want right you know and then they can give they can present this world and they can articulate it in a way what did bill do to communicate his vision. Well, and here's his, the greatest as thing. As director, you mean? Well, yeah, as a director. And as, 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 as a director, yeah. as a producer, and as a writer, we had the luxury so that all of us, the entire ensemble um, in, the, in the show, sat around the table and read all eight scripts together. Mm -hmm. Before, we read them for HBO. Oh, wow. So we would read, like, this, we would do these pre-reads that are just for us. 
to be like, let's see what's working. And you could come up to us and say, I this this line isn't working for me. Or one of our actors came up and went, I don't understand why I'm doing this. I don't want to be a jerk, but why would I do this? And we went, you're right. And we all ran into the writer's room and changed it all. Um, uh, based on one comment while the actor was walking to the elevator, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but that, it just, it just gets a familiarity and a, and just like anything, you just, the most terrifying thing when you're shooting something is when you have to do something really important or big and it's your, you don't know anybody. <laughs> you don't have a relationship with the actor and uh, and you're supposed to have known each other for years <laughs> or whatever it is. It's like father, son or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And so it, to me, really, it's getting people in a room so you're comfortable failing around each other. Mm -hmm. right. You know, if you get comfortable failing around each other, you you start to relax and then you start doing really good but work. But again, I will say, all starts with the people at the top. Mm -hmm. They create an environment for that to happen. There are other people who are so insecure that will never happen, you know? And then it is up to you to negotiate that minefield. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've loved about the show as we've sort of crossed the halfway mark of the season is um, our understanding of the character of Gene. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to watch his introduction in the first episode, um, it'd be very easy to take this character as this is a comic character. Right. Um, and with all the gunplay going on elsewhere. Right. As the show has revealed itself to be about, I think one of you even made a passing reference to this, about a bunch of people who are not comfortable with who they are and trying to reject who they are and glom onto something else, maybe even without realizing what that other thing is. Gene is in many ways the most honest character on the whole show. He seems, at least through five, I, there may be a twist coming that I'm not expecting, but he knows who, he seems to know who he is. And there's a level of comfort to it that is, it's attractive enough to, to woo a police detective. <laughs> <laughs> he, that he has the, the, the gall to do that is amazing. <laughs> but it, it seems that everybody in the show, Bill is an assassin and he's great at it. Mm -hmm. But he wants to be an actor, and he's horrible yes. at it. <laughs> right. I'm a teacher, and I found how to be uh, the master of my own fortune. And then I audition, and I'm auditioning for the last guy in the line. Yeah, yeah. That's such a great scene. Do you know? Yeah. It's so little, and yet it says so much. Yeah. Yeah, we always said that. I remember... You know, going, oh, and he walks in to, you know, you see him audition in episode four. Mm -hmm. And then when he uh, goes into the, the, you know, into his uh, class, everyone stands up for him and applauds. Mm -hmm. And that's when I always feel like I really get Gene in that moment. Yeah. You know, you really get like, oh, I get why he's an acting teacher. What was that moment for you, Henry, where you knew, where you got Gene? I, because... Bill mentioned episode four, there is that incredible audition sequence. Um, and there's also the seduction sequence at, at Stella Luna. Um, <laughs> we also, I, I should say, we shot that, uh, uh, the audition scene. This is another testament to Henry. That was shot in the set where we were shooting all the police, uh, uh, policemen, police stations. Yeah. yeah. So we were shooting the end of episode four with uh, Moss saying, look at the tape, rewind yeah. it, everything like that. And then it was a second camera lined up on Henry next door and it was and I remember looking at two monitors of these two scenes going and then being like all right everybody be quiet and you know everyone on the other set and then Henry just did that and we just pushed in pulled back pushed in pulled back and 
And it was the last take. The last take he did, we all just went, oh, oh. We all like went crazy. <laughs> You're making me crazy in a good way. No, no, no. <laughs> like, you, like broke I our heard. hearts. <laughs> I, you know, I did it and I walked away. I just, I, I, I didn't, you know, I thought, I'm doing this. And you heard at Video Village where the director, the producers, mm -hmm. and everybody stays, and you just heard, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, Maggie Carey directed that. It was me, Alec, everybody just went, oh. And we went, that's it. Oh, Henry, oh, jeez, you know. <laughs> and so I, when I see the scene with Moss when she's saying, mm -hmm. you know, and Paula's saying rewind it and all that stuff, all, I'm, all I remember was we were like, celebrating that moment alec and i quietly going like oh that's fucking killer man like that we were so happy with that you know if that's sort of a signature moment for henry's character in a strange way i think that the stash house raid really did a lot to explain the character of barry for me in some ways because between the what happens with with ryan and early in the season but especially uh in what, what would have been last night's episode I, I don't know there's something about seeing barry be physical out in the world and yeah. doing the thing that you at least for the most part, is just talking about a lot, mm -hmm. um, was just incredibly revealing about him because like you, it gives you an idea of like what he must have experienced in Afghanistan and what yeah. he must have experienced over the course of what he's been doing. And, and also his physicality, mm -hmm. Bill's physicality. Yes. Because yes. on the stage, he is a deer in headlights. Mm -hmm. And in the stash house, he moves like he just totally knows how to do this. I just totally know how to take out all these guys. Yeah. Yeah, he's just very calm and and this kind of yeah, this guy Wade Allen was our stunt coordinator and this and Duffy, his uh the right hand man guy and, and, and I wish Duffy. I had a right hand man Duffy. named Duffy. Duffy. No, Duffy is was like a trainer. He trained the uh, like Fight Club, uh Brad Pitt and and uh, Gardens of the Galaxy, Chris Pratt. Like wow. he's like a big trainer guy. But he um was they were the two guys that shot us showed us how to move like that. And I remember watching them they go, here's what you guys have to do. And we went to use rehearsals where they showed us how to like sweep a room and all this stuff. And I remember calling Alec going, this is great because they look like robots. They yeah. don't look human. I go, it's, it's really good. It's just stealthy, quiet. And I just remember texting like no music, no mm -hmm. nothing, just nothing. Like it should just be them moving and, and that's it. You kind of get the kind of disconnect of how uh, there's zero emotion in that. Yeah. It's also you know? just sort and these of – the same show. That's what, that's what yeah. I was going to get. It's a, I'm telling you, it blows it, my mind. It, it's a bravura moment for the show because, and you had the great Hiro Murai directing it as well. Yeah. But there's this the same sort of deep-seated mundanity that you see when they're sitting around um, residuals or, or, yeah. or wherever other sort of real place that exists is this warehouse. They're yeah. sitting there. They're, they're just watching too. something. Yeah, those they're guys, that's what they die. said. Was we, you know what we did was we wrote, we we got enticed by it, and, the, and I, I blame myself, as we wrote a version of that, or I wrote a version. I go, guys, I went to the writer's room. I go, I wrote the stash house, and it's great. And we read it, and it was an action sequence. Mm -hmm. And I just read it again and went, cool. And everybody was like, all right. And then while we were reading through it, I went, it's an action what was, sequence. What, what kind of was... What made an action sequence? The guy, well, the the guy, the you know, the guy with the the grocery bag drops his bag, and then there's a shootout, and then people are coming out of nowhere with guns, and it's this big thing, and I just went, ah, oh, we, I screwed up, and I go, you know what? Instead of them going into a room and it's a bunch of guys with guns, it should be a bunch of guys watching TV, and they just shoot them, and like they're not <laughs> doing anything, mm -hmm. they don't, they don't do anything, they yeah. just shoot them, 
And then when we shot that, I remember Hero, we were talking to the stunt guys and stunt guys are just trained to do that when they get shot. Mm -hmm. And Hero also all going, no, no, you just you just kind of slump over just, just trying down. to get the the re the reality of it. But um but yeah, taking that action thing that you're kind of programmed with as a movie fan, mm -hmm. but just you know, just trying to not do that. Because like that's supposed to be your bad boys moment where you're like, yeah, like low angle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and... yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't want to do that because that's uh lame you know like and a little so, bit you want to do it like <laughs> no no not, not a little bit no I mean, we were really wanting i mean i was terrible i think it's on the thing i couldn't load it i had to be able to load the gun without looking at it try to do that and there is a moment and where i would away. go <laughs> <laughs> yes so i'm doing this and then and you'd hear wade and the guys go bill come on man you got it and so the one time i get it you see i I slam against the wall right before he says, um, Leroy Jenkins, I slam against the wall and I did it great. And if you look at my eyes, you could see I'm like, yes, I just did it. <laughs> Don't blow this. Don't say your lines right because I just did it finally right on camera. Finally, Duffy will <laughs> yeah. respect me. Duffy will respect me. <laughs> oh, You know, can I just say yeah, one thing please. that also kills me? We talked about Hero. Hero is a, uh, a director. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal uh, director. A phenomenal director. He created the, the look of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. and so He was in my son's uh, cinema class oh. at USC. Oh, no way. So I'm congratulating his parents because his son did a great student movie. <laughs> now he's directing us. Bill's daughter is in my grandson's. Uh, a kindergarten class. Oh, there are so many um, lapping. Yeah, just like it's beshert. There's a, a Yiddish <laughs> word beshert, which it's Chris meant looks to at me. be. <laughs> I'm just, I only have to. I, so I, 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 it just touches me. It does. Uh, it's sweet. It segues really nicely to a question I wanted to ask you, Henry, which is that some of the best scenes on the show are in the acting class, um, and there's just this. You get it so exactly right because there's this palpable hunger in the room. Everyone is so hungry yes, for right. success or okay. opportunity. Let me, let me, let me stop you for yeah. a minute. You've got the uh, Anglo-African um, uh, actress, mm -hmm. Kirby, is now in Killing Eve. And she's great. Uh, a writer, the young man, uh, just took his um, webisode show to Cannes. Um, uh, Darcy, who, thank you. Darcy, who plays, um, he takes care of <laughs> who plays my assistant Sorry. and and the 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 mm -hmm. young lady who is just acquiesces to every everybody else's thought is killing it on the good place. Sure is. They every one of them is a home yeah. run hitter. Yeah, I just want well, to say. Daryl, uh, you know, is on in uh, three, three billboards. Three billboards. And Antonio and Andy Carey who lives in Chicago. I mean. They just are effortless, you know. And Antonio, uh, episode four, when he goes, I sent you my link. He, <laughs> improvised that. he improvised that, and we just went nuts. Yeah. I, I was curious, though, Henry, about your experience. You've obviously been a working actor yes. for quite some time. 43 years. Did it, does it, did it take you back? Is that, is that emotion in a young actor, whether they have ability or not, um, and although maybe that's a distinction you'd like to make, was it, does it take you back? It Is it depends. familiar? It really depends. There were, uh, I, I went to Emerson College. Mm -hmm. I studied drama. I had four teachers, uh, four professors of drama. Uh, I went to Yale Drama School. I had 13. So you put them all together. 
Now there are actors in your class. Some of them are completely confident. I was an unsolidified bowl of jello <laughs> before it ever got in the refrigerator. And my teacher, Norma Brustein, said to me, come here. You're trying to undermine my class. <laughs> I said, I don't even have a point of view of who I am. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> so, yes, you see it. You see it all. And you see it in the individual personality of those people. Mm -hmm. Also, sometimes it's, I'm just thinking about the acting class scenes and also what Henry brings to stuff is, you know, we'll write a line like in episode five, Henry, the Macbeth scene where, where Barry kind of unloads on everybody. And he kind of has this moment where he, you know, this existential moment. And we had written in there where he said, uh, <sighs> you know, thank you for your service. And, uh, and if you don't, you know, if you kill someone in war, that's fine. But if you don't, you're a psycho. <laughs> and Henry just made he that those two lines were never that funny to us and we actually when we went in to shoot that day we were like should we just cut these because i just i mean it just feels like filler from another didn't we cut those or whatever and when henry did them just to prove what an actor can do he came in and he just he went boy i tell you like <laughs> you added these two handles where you said boy i tell you Congrat! Like you didn't say it like the full line. Like you just did that, and you knew what you meant before. But thank you for your service. And then um, you go, and you go, but then you're a fucking psycho. Like the rhythm of it, he added this rhythm that we would never have thought of. And I was like, oh, those are two of the biggest laughs of the show for us when we watch stuff. So <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, that was all you. You guys must. I mean. Because you've both worked in these ensembles before. And I mean, when you were working in SNL, there the, one of the things I really like is the social dynamic of all the actors mm -hmm. because they're at once like thrown together, but they do create this surrogate family for one another. Yeah. And and yeah. in the yeah. Valley, like they're- Can I just say- We forgot to our, mention in, Sarah Goldberg. Too. Yeah. Sarah. Sarah Goldberg. She's yeah, she's, no, she's unreal. You, she's she's but, a standalone. She's a standalone. But here's the thing. Even the background actors- the, the background artists who fill in yeah. my class, they all got into it. It wasn't like them and us. It was really solidified. Yeah, right? yeah, it was. Gosh. Yeah, everybody right. got into it. Like when we had our final episode with the background actors, it was everybody took photos together. Every You know, it, it was it was a big camaraderie. Yeah, know? we were a class. I did yeah. want to talk about Sarah Goldberg because she's Whoa. outstanding, obviously, on the show. Outstanding. Again, another moment when I when the show clicked for me is her storyline in four. Yeah, four. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the emotional depth that she brings to that part um, is such a strong and almost unexpected spine to the show because I can imagine you have the again. I've I've, I've done this strange um, architecture analogy, but you have the comedy over here and you have the extreme violence over here. Keeping both from running too far to one side is 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 her and her emotion. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if that I'm had the same pain. effect on your performances as well and kept the two well, of it's you. Like, yeah, it's a good thing too. I mean, and that structurally, again, we don't think of it that when we're writing, but it just something just kind of intuitively feels right. But I I gotta say is like um, it's so much of it is just the seed of the idea. It's this weird thing, you know. It's like sometimes you look back and you go, why didn't the thing work? Why didn't it work? Oh, the the acorn <laughs> was faulty. Mm -hmm. But the acorn of this of like, oh, hitman acting, these two worlds trying to get together, then 
these kind of stories would go, well, then she would go in an audition. Oh, well, and that would happen. And you just take the logical steps. Mm -hmm. And what happens to her in that is a story that uh, one of the writers told us about, that there was an uh, an agent that would, that was his kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, and so then we went, oh, well, that's great. And then went, okay. So she says, I just want to be friends. And then I remember, because this never happened to me. I was in the writer's room. And I go, so what? This never happened before. What would happen? And mm-hmm. all the, not only our female writers, but the other female people who work on the show, writers, PAs, assistants, they all went, she would apologize. Mm-hmm. And we went, great. Okay, so she apologizes for his gaffe. And they're like, yes. I go, okay, so she apologized. Then what would happen? And it's like, well, then she would go to the audition. And we all got quiet and went, oh, she go to the audition and she doesn't have an agent. And it was like, oh, okay, great. Yeah. That's what happens. Then what happens? And then you go, well, she would go cry in her car, you know. And The acorn was true. The yeah, acorn was case. true, but that's what I mean. It's like you have one thing like this and it's like you look at a lot of great shows and things that work. You kind of go, oh, gosh, the initial idea of bringing two things together mm-hmm. kind of bear all this fruit and that you never expected. That's also know? the best part about the show is that something that's re- like – on its surface, if you read the the elevator pitch of it, is very high concept. Is actually like grounded by like detail, grounded. both in like the act working actors' experiences, yeah. but even just the stuff with like the Chechnyans. So I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's like like I read. Well, they're trying to have like a family life. Yeah, I, I like it when he goes. We have to stop torturing him because my, my daughter's having to sleep yeah. over. <laughs> <and everything. So laughs> or, or the scene at the little gym or whatever it's called. I love the little LA, gym. You know, oh yeah, that's where I take. That's where my daughters have their birthday parties. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jag Gym. That's we go there place. all the time for their birthday parties. So I've been those dads sitting on the thing, and I was like. Like initially it was a movie theater yeah. and I said, oh, we should do it in Jag Gym and Hero Mirai really liked that. He's like, oh, that, that's a great space to shoot in. And, you know, I like when Stephen Root does the thing where, where he goes, very good, you know, and just, Glenn goes, very good, Jenny. And he goes, oh, very, just looks at that random kid. Good job, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> that was another one. We were at the monitors. We were dying. And Stephen too. I mean, what mentioned. can you say about Stephen Root? I mean, he's a genius. Uh, he shows up at the party. <laughs> At Darcy's house? Yeah. And, like, Bill is staring, and you don't know what he's staring at. And all of a sudden, you cut to Stephen Root, his scarred face mm-hmm. is, like, so out of place. It's, like, scary. Well, there's the, he, in many ways, in the way he is as a performer, embodies the fluidity of tone that you yeah. see in yeah. the show. yeah. The same voice, the same character that was funny a minute ago suddenly seems scary. I love the yeah. scene in Five when he comes out of the shower and says, <laughs> uh, you got to do it. And it starts out funny. Yeah. But then Barry's, what the thing? And and, and I got, Stephen did such a great thing because we wrote that initially as, you know, you're fucking doing this. Mm-hmm. I don't give a, you know, and it was, a, he had a lot of, and I sat down and he's over me. And then we were looking at it. Stephen said, I, what if I just, I, I, I entice you, you know what I mean? I, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You got to see that side He's of directing. him, you know? Yeah. And, and I, he goes, so let me sit down and you keep standing and we just try it that way. And it was just one of those great things where it clicks, you know, and you go, oh, right. Yeah. This is much better where it's like, hey man, look, yeah. let me just, it just felt more real where you always wanted to like a, the, in the outline, it's like he makes him do something. So it must be forceful. And if you have a good actor there, they can. Now that's another point. These guys are open enough, secure enough, and generous enough to be open to the best idea wins. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Well, yeah, it's always Falling about what, what what's best for the show and any 
And believe me, like believe me, I'm the, I will pitch stuff constantly or I'll play. A, I remember one time I, I wanted to play a scene a certain way and Alec Berg came out and he goes, that almost seemed like a human. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, should I tone it down? He's like, yeah, I tone it down. That's <laughs> I was like, of, good. All right. Thanks. You know, it's it's like, kind of a Westworld note. Yeah. I was like, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 well, those androids seem more human than what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to, oh, you're good. Oh, I feel like this might be sort of a meta question in some ways. It might be a reach, but I'm curious about it. Um, both of you, um, in the show, obviously you're playing um, people who are hiding things from themselves, hiding things from other people, performing in one role or another, whether it's actually on stage or or not. Um, both of you, uh, to varying degrees, have played iconic roles in the past, obviously. Um, I'd like to say Stefan is our generation's I Arthur agree. Fonzarelli. I agree. Stefanzi is what a lot of people are calling yeah. It's right yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. It oh just lands. That's it your lens. It's, that, That's what it lends what it. What a funny, genuinely funny person he was. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was? Is, it, is he gone? Well, we know. Okay. I mean, I'm not asking <laughs> no, to know. summon him. I just feel like I didn't know. I didn't get the death notice. Um, but but that, I imagine what that leads itself to is that people sometimes when they meet you, people you don't know, people approach you, um, they expect a certain person to be there inside of your skin. Okay. Or they oh, see yeah. that person. And I didn't know if you would discuss that. You, oh, yeah. I don't care what they call me as long as they watch Barry. Okay. <laughs> I don't care what they, what they know me from as long as they come along with me on my journey. Truly, yeah. I thought I could beat the system. I thought I will just tell everyone I am not the Fonz. Yeah. I'm Henry. Uh, you know, and uh, when I met my wife, I took her out for the very first time, and her four-year-old. I was a candle on his birthday cake a year before I met him. <laughs> wow. And I here he is. He opens the door and he goes, Fonzie, yeah. and I. The asshole looked down and I said, my name is Henry. Would you like it if I called you Ralph? <laughs> he had, now he's 45 years old. I say the same thing. No. He doesn't, have, he didn't know what I was talking about, but I was so crazed. I thought I could beat the system. Yeah. And then I looked down. I was on a mountaintop as the Fonz. I was going to go from mountaintop to mountaintop because I was such a big um, character. Mm -hmm. And then one day I looked down and there were grass stains <laughs> on my jeans as I slid down <laughs> into the valley. <laughs> so I literally don't care <laughs> as long as they come and watch Barry. And also, I never get to, uh, I don't know about you, but there's always a part of me that, some, just depending on where you're at, you know, if you're just like in a bad place and someone walks up to you and is like, hey, you know, and you're like, oh, hi, yeah, no, uh, but, um, or if I'm with my kids or whatever, but I always appreciate it. Yeah. You always appreciate yeah. it. It's just when people are like, uh, weird. Yeah. You know, then, like you, then you, you go, you like they own you. To. Yeah. Right. Are they, you know. But it's true. When I was with my children and I would just say, honestly, do you know what? I'm in a conversation now with my kids. I am so thankful that you said hi, but I'm so sorry. I've got to move on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they get it. I always say, well, I appreciate it. Thanks. But if I take a picture with you, then I'm going to be taking a picture with everybody in here. 
Right. And then and people will be coming up sure. to me saying, I don't know who you are, but everybody wants your picture. Yeah, yeah. And I want to have a, this meal with my and you're kids. You're already in home, in bed, watching the news. I'm yeah. Still here yeah, 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 exactly. And you go, I once hid, I know you've had way worse stories, but I once hid in the Chicago airport in a stall. Oh, really? And the woman had to come get me to come out right when Stefan was at its oh, right. thing. And I, I had people it. open the stall. <laughs> yeah. I am so sorry. I, you people, you had it way worse. Yeah. You had it way worse. No, no, no. I no. mean, there was only, yeah, I mean, you had it. Yeah, I mean, you've told me stories that are way worse. I'm that. curious about the four-year-old with the Stefan candle yeah, right. on his or her cake. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, no, there's a kid's love Stefan. Oh, who would Yeah, they have, he they, knows they dress up, they dress up, uh, some Halloween. Halloween, I get all the Halloween things, the little kids dressed up like Stefan. Not like the four Four year olds. Yeah. Yeah. yeah little kids dressed up like Stefan. Their parents oh, probably dressed up. <laughs> Just to wrap things up, you know, Henry, you mentioned earlier that Barry is, uh, he's great at being an assassin, but he hates it. Yeah. And he loves acting, but he's terrible at right. it. I was wondering if for either of you guys, there's something that you love to do, but you're terrible at. Oh my wow. God. I would love to be able to draw. Oh. I love to be like an artist. I, I know that's, but I honestly, I, I have a, I'm a, I like, you know, comic books and things like that. And I love animation. But when someone, my oldest daughter has been able to do it where she could just look at that and go, oh, it's, you know, this. She'd look at the camera and, and get all the details right and everything. And she's eight. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know. How to do that? I have no idea how you do that, where you take nothing and can just make that. I wish I could sing. Like Sia, the boss, Bruno, um, Adele. you know, uh, Adele. Yeah, Adele. Adele. Yeah, Adele's good. I do. I have her on my iPod. Uh, I met Sia once. Yeah? In a in a market. Was her hair over? No. Her face, no? She walked up and because she knows I'm a fan. Because oh. I write her and, you know, just. And she came up and she said, I'm Sia. <laughs> and I went, I didn't know what to do. I just hugged her. Wow. You know, but I wish I could sing. But I do take photographs. I wish that I could take a great photograph. Hmm. I am so dyslexic that I don't know how to use anything but an automatic. I cannot affect the picture mm-hmm. in any way. I wish I could come up with a perfect podcast closing <laughs> question. Uh, like, no, but like, this like was Chris a lot of fun. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, this is a really fun conversation. Well, thank you for being Thanks, a part guys. of it, guys. We have uh, oh. there, so there are three episodes left in season one of Barry. There is yeah. a season two, maybe yeah. with a different Barry. Yeah, totally different. As, Barry. As it might Bill be Barry Sanders. Yeah, yeah, we might have Barry <laughs> five, six. Oh, five is already. Yeah, been yeah, five, five has already been on. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. no, it's gonna. I we it might be Barry Sanders. Yeah, it's CBD. Negotiations are ongoing. We might just start the season, and it's Barry Sanders, and it might be really interesting to just see his life. Yeah, you know, 100%. and you go, oh, oh, it's that Barry, but the same low, <laughs> like the same thing, you know. But I just had uh, a torn meniscus. Oh. oh no! So I could not play an athlete. Right, there are well, complications. I don't think we're gonna be in it. Okay. It's just his life. It's a tough to tell him on, oh, on camera. Yeah, yeah. Saying, but just, this is just where we. Okay. This is where we. Maybe we should cut the mic. Yeah, yeah let's cut <laughs> the mic. I have to have a conversation with Henry so outside. Such alive. a pleasure. Thank, Thank you very much.
Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Thomas's English Muffins. Here is a breakfast I always get out of bed for. Thomas's original nooks and crannies English muffins. There's nothing quite like that irresistible nooks and crannies texture, perfectly toasted, crispy edges with a soft, warm center. How the butter pools inside all those nooks and crannies spaces is just amazing. It's a delicious burst of flavor in every warm, toasty, buttery bite. Thomas's nooks and crannies English muffins are truly like no other. Today's episode of The Watch was also brought to you by HBO's Barry. You got to hear Andy and I talk to Henry Winkler and Bill Hader. As a reminder, Barry is on every Sunday at 10.30 p.m. on HBO from executive producers Bill Hader and Silicon Valley's Alec Berg. The new HBO comedy stars Hader as a hitman who discovers a new passion for acting while on a job in Los Angeles. Do not forget to check it out. Barry, 